Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. We are very, very blessed because our speaker tonight is Jamie Dishman. She often works behind the scenes. She's been participating in women's ministry forever in our church. Her and her husband love you guys. They are always putting on food. They're the ones that are opening up their homes, the seventh, eighth, and ninth graders on a monthly basis. They are both incredible people, and I think that we're going to be very blessed tonight. So with no further ado, welcome to the stage, Jamie Dishman. All right. Hello, Elevate. All right. Y'all are a quiet bunch tonight. It was hard to get y'all going for games. Hey, Elijah. Elijah waves at me every single time I speak, like at Homer Christian. So, hey, Elijah, thank you. I'm just going to focus on your smiling face. Um, How many of you went to the cross-country meet today? I saw a bunch of you out there at Vanderbilt. Yeah? So now you raised your hand, so all your neighbors just smelled that. I'm just joking, Ethan. All right. Um, (laughs) um, So my name is Jamie Dishman. I, I think I know... A good bit of you, and I'm getting to know a lot of you. Billy and I are truly honored to be a part of Elevate um, in any way we can. We love this place. We love this ministry. We love Dominic and Jackie. Um, I've literally been here since the lighthouse was built because I'm old. And so um, we we built this place and painted walls for the first time. And I just remember being so excited to come here and finally have a place where we could hang out with friends, like it was, you just always went to big church before, and we never had our own place, and then all of a sudden we had a place, and um, and I was in college, and it was just incredible to go to college and invite my friends here, and just um, to meet for youth group, and then CIA, which was our college group, so I'm glad to be here tonight, I'm glad you're here. Tonight, um, the message that I have for you is called Your Big Moment, because tonight's called Big Wednesday, so I thought, let's call it Your Big Moment. Um, Okay, it's up there. And so I just want to briefly share with you tonight, because we are going to meet in e-groups right after, just, you're going to get a big moment one day in your life, and you might think, you don't know me, Miss Jamie, I never get a big moment, I'm always in the background, no one ever notices me. I'm not the person who's ever in the spotlight. No one ever cares what I'm doing. But trust me that one day something's going to happen and you're going to get a big moment. And there's going to be this time where you say, what am I going to do with that? What's going to happen? And so to share with you for that, I want to share a big moment that happens in Paul's life in the Bible. And we all know Paul. Right? Who know if you know Paul? Yes, not y'all are so quiet. Elijah, just I need you to just keep smiling. Um, <laughs> um, you all know who Paul is, right? But here's the thing: you know Paul from this end of his story, right? Because we, you you've heard about him over and over and over again in the Bible. So we know Paul like this. He was the New Testament golden child, right? He wrote most of it. It's it's like his book, sort of is God-inspired book. And that's how we know Paul. We know him as Paul the Apostle. He preaches and people like get saved, they get healed, amazing things happen. And that's how we know Paul. But for one, mom- for one moment in time, I need you to go right back into the Bible and just imagine for a minute 
that you're living in it. Because what we tend to do, what I tend to do when we read the Bible, is we read a chapter in three minutes to say we did it and say we're done. Well, God, I did my three-minute Bible reading today. Praise you, Jesus. Now let's move on. But those chapters took years sometimes to live. Days, sometimes dozens of years to live. And that's what we see here in this chapter that we're going to talk about with Paul. Paul is a guy... So if you're stepping back in time with me 2,000-something years ago, and you're going to think about Paul, this is how I want you to think about him tonight. Not Paul the Apostle, Paul the writer of the New Testament, golden child who we all love and adore and quote all his verses. You know, like we put them on our foreheads for football practice and all that cool stuff. But Paul the guy who was constantly confronted by his own sin. See, because Paul used to be Saul. So every single time he went into a new village, a new place, he was greeted with people whose families he had murdered. Like, hey, Paul, yeah, do you know you? Because you killed my dad. You killed my mom and my sister too. Remember that, Paul? He never got away from it. For as long as he lived, the people he ministered to were the very same people he had persecuted. He never escaped his sin. He was Paul who every single day woke up and there was someone in his life who remembered Saul, the murderer, the guy who delighted in chasing you down and killing you if you said you loved Jesus. He never escaped it. So that's the Paul we're talking about tonight, the one who woke up every single day so grateful for the mercies of God because it's all he had. Paul was a man who labored hard. He was a tent maker by trade, but he labored hard in the gospel too. And you know, that gives me great encouragement because... Gosh, we work hard at our jobs sometimes. Like, man, I, my kids can tell you. I have two kids in here tonight, and I promise not to mention them, talk to them about them, or look at them. So I'm not going to do that. But if you don't know them and you see them, I for six months now, my husband and I have been coming home, and they're like, you had another hard day at work, didn't you, Mom? And I'm like, yeah, it's kicking my butt. Like, I don't know if you can say that at the lighthouse, but it is. Like, it's hard. It's hard. And, and it's hard. And they're like, well, it's hard. And I'm like, well, everything. Everything is hard right now at work. Paul got that. He got it, what it feels like to labor hard at work and hard in the work of the Lord, and you can't give up either. And so Paul, the Paul that we're talking about tonight, he had problems within his close group of friends. So we think he's like Paul the apostle. And if Paul was my friend, oh, that would be so wonderful. But here's the kind of things that happened between Paul and his friends. He confronted Peter, you know, Peter, guy denied Jesus three times to so Paul. It says at one point in the Bible, Paul says, so I confronted him to his face. That's not cool. I don't care how you slice it. That wasn't like sanctified, glorious confrontation. That's like the hurtful kind when your friend's doing something wrong and God says, you have to go be the person to tell him. And you're like, Jesus, anybody but me. And he, God still says, no, it's you. Go tell Peter he's living in sin right now. And that was Paul. That was one of his relationships. Paul's a guy who got it wrong. You know, want to know what Paul told John Mark? You might not know who John Mark is, but I'll give you a hint. He wrote the book of Mark. Okay? So put that in your brain. Paul told John Mark, you're not worthy to go on missionary journeys with me. You're not, you're not a Christian enough. Really? He wrote the book of Mark, Paul. God obviously thought he was doing some good things, but Paul got it wrong. So that's the Paul that I want to, you to have in your brains tonight, the Paul who is constantly confronted by his sin, the Paul who has friendship struggles, the Paul who gets it wrong and says, John, Mark, you're not worthy. And God says, actually, he is. And you kind of messed up right there. So this is Paul. So I just want to give you a little background 
Where was Paul? Right before we're going to start our story, Paul was in a place called Iconium. That doesn't matter too much, except that here's what happened at Iconium. Paul, it says, if we're going into Acts chapter 14, if you brought your Bible, that's cool. I like real Bibles. You can write in them. You can save them. I have my Bible from high school, and it means a lot to me because I wrote things in there that meant a lot to me, and so I still have it. So get you a real Bible. Cell phones are cool, but get you a real one. If you don't have one, you could come to me after, and we'll we'll hook you up. Um, So Paul was um, in a place called Iconium, and basically the main thing that you need to know about that is that he had to flee because he was being persecuted. And um, it says an attempt was made in chapter 14, verse 5, an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. And they learned of it and they fled to Lystra. Okay, so the basic heart of that is basically everybody's against him, Jew and Gentile. That's everybody in Bible language. That means the whole world. Um, was against him. So he flees to a place called Lystra, and that's where we're going to pick up in our story about this Paul. Um, so we'll go to the slide, Acts chapter 14, and we'll read first verses 8 through 13. All right, so let's get reading. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. So just stop here for a minute. Paul walks into a new city called Lystra. He tells this man, first of all, Paul sees that this man has enough faith to be healed. I don't even understand what that means in the Bible. Like I still can't wrap my hand around like, but if it's God, why do you have to have faith? Paul sees it. He says, rise up. The man does. And they, and it's so the crowds go wild. You need to get the picture that Zeus and Hermes and those gods that they're talking about are the biggest thing in their world. There's nothing bigger than Zeus. There's nothing cooler than Hermes, the messenger. So they're like, Paul, you're Hermes. Oh, this man is Hermes. And they called Barnabas Zeus. I mean, that that's like laughable to us because we picture them as cute cartoon gods. But to them, they were the real gods. This was saying, you are the most important thing in my world, and I'm going to make you the most important thing. So if we just stop right there, you know, I think sometimes when you're reading the Bible, if you stop and say, what would happen if this was me? So I'm like, okay, Jamie, what would happen if this was you? And you walk in and you, you heal somebody through the power of Jesus and people start elevating you as one of their gods. Here is how I might justify what's happening. I would say, God, thank you for this position of power. I know you have placed me in it because I'm going to do good things for your name and for your glory. And I would kind of like being in their temple, elevated as their God, all eyes on me. That's like being given your own TV show in today's world. Let's just translate that for a second because y'all aren't catching on that him being a God was the coolest thing that could possibly happen in this civilization. Well, that's like being said, I'm going to give you a reality TV show and you're going to be like the most famous rapper and a good singer and a billionaire. That's what was handed to Paul on a platter. Okay. So if that was me, you know how I would think about that is God, thank you for this. 
God, you are so good to give this to me, finally. You know, because honestly, he just came out of a really hard place. Remember that place where everybody was against him, both Jew and Gentile? And honestly, when something happens like that to me in my life, you know where I want to run to? A place of comfort. I want people who like kind of coddle me a little bit and say things like, I just love you so much. Okay, thanks. That's what I needed to hear today. And Paul, in all of God's strength and dignity that he can muster in that moment, doesn't accept their, their highest praises for him. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to use this position for God's glory, which sometimes God does elevate people to a position. But Paul knew in his spirit, this is not where God wants me to be. And I don't think I would have had that kind of spiritual maturity to say, this isn't right. But Paul and Barnabas, they do. And this is what they say. So if we continue on to Acts chapter 14, verse 14, and we'll finish the passage through 23, um, it says this, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul hear of it, they tore their garments. They rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good. By giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. So the people still, even after Paul's like, no, 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 no. The people are just like, yes, 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 yes. You know, like, we're, we're going to praise you. This is amazing. And it says, but then all of a sudden, the story turns. So Paul's at this pinnacle of being praised. And all of a sudden, the story turns. And it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Remember that Iconium place that Paul had just been? And it says, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went out with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through them, many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So it all flipped. And that's our first B in, in your big moment. When your big moment comes, beware adoration, particularly of a fickle crowd. You know, that's the friend who's with you one day and not with you the next. Because see, what happens is if we are not always concerned, if we are always concerned with what people think about us, we will always be reluctant to tell them about Jesus. It's really hard to tell people about Jesus when you're worried about how that's going to impact you socially. And when you grow up, it's still hard, guys. I wish I could tell you that at 38 years old, it's way easier. But here's how it plays out in my life now is, oh gosh, if they come into my business and I'm just like crazy about Jesus or I talk to them about that, how does that play out for me? There's still fear there even when you grow older. But if we are always worried about what people are thinking, we're never going to tell them about Jesus. And they're a fickle crowd. They're going to adore you one moment and abhor you the next. They will flip so fast. That crowd flipped in a heartbeat. Hey, praise you, praise you, praise you. We're going to set you in the temple. And then, oh, yep, never mind. Here come the people who said you're bad. So we're going to stone you and leave you for dead. You know, and um, 
in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, that's just a verse to hang your heart around in life. And it's it's kind of long and it's hard to memorize a little bit. But if you just get the basic idea of it, if there's one verse that you need to tell yourself over and over and over in this world is, am I doing this for God or man? That's the heart of the verse. And you, you know, when you go back and you read it and you say, okay, Galatians 1.10, am I seeking approval from man or approval from God? Because it's not usually both. It's one or the other. So which one are you doing? There's no either or. Um, there's a quote on this blog. It was called The Haunted Hayride of Human Approval. And it said this, to Paul and Barnabas, the allure of human approval, acceptance, esteem, and intense admiration seemed more dangerous than exciting, more threatening than tempting. And they knew the roots of the crowd's flattering idolatry would eventually kill each and every one of them. Do you view flattery and adoration as dangerous or exciting? See, because Paul and Barnabas sought for what it was, a danger to their very lives. And it surely was. They knew that those who adore you can just as quickly abhor you. And so beware in your big moment of extreme adoration. I'm not saying they're not sincere. Some people are going to love you. And Jesus gives you those people in your life. But you know their sincerity when they stay by you year after year, day after day, when you're down and when you're up, when you're good and when you're bad. But when they are ready to turn in a moment, that's not real. That's not real. And they'll turn. And see, they left Paul for dead. Did you pick up on that? It's not really, like, if I fell on the ground, you wouldn't think I was dead. But if you stoned me hard enough, there would be blood all over, and you would think I was dead. And that's how they left him. They didn't, they could have cared less. They could have cared less. The second thing in your big moment is intentionality. When your big moment comes, are you going to be intentional? See, Paul knew what he was there to do. He wasn't confused for even a moment. For all of, you know, for all of Romans 7, we love quoting Paul when he says, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do, and then what I do do, I don't want to do, and we love that Paul's like us. But you know what? Paul was very, very, very intentional. There wasn't a moment in his life when he wasn't clear about his passion and clear about his focus. He knew, this is what I'm here to do. I might get it wrong sometimes, but this is what I'm here. So be intentional in your big moment to invest in others, and to multiply the faith. So I have this real quick story um, back from when I was in high school. And don't wait to put the picture because I just don't want people focused on the picture because it's bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, we didn't have the internet when I was in high school. That's like a real thing. Like I know you can't quite wrap your heads around that, but like we, I didn't know how to fix my hair. That's just an FYI because we didn't have YouTube tutorials to teach us. And the magazines in my day in 1998 would have been when I graduated high school. Like Christian houses, you weren't allowed to have them. Like at least in our house, we weren't allowed to have them because it talked about how to curl your hair and other bad things. So my mom was like, you can't have those. So we just didn't have a clue. Like me and my sister were raised with like, I guess you just brush it. I don't know. There, was, there wasn't the internet. So I'm about to show you a picture and it's um, of me on homecoming court because it's homecoming time. So I thought this was a good, a good thing to show you about my life. And here's what I was intentional about. So me and my best friend in high school, like I don't know how your high schools operate. We had 300 ki kids in our senior class and we knew we were running for homecoming court. And we were like, you know, I think if we went rally votes, one of us can be queen. 
So like we were sleeping over at our house one night and I'm like, that is such a good idea. What are we going to do? And so at our school, certain people sat in certain spots. Okay. So with 300 kids in just the senior class, like there was like jocks here and then band people there and then our friends here. And you know, you just had this crowd, but at the front of the school, like we never walked there. That was like the scary people. Okay. So we never, I'm, I'm not even making this up. There really was scary up there. And so so we said, we're going to start walking around the front of school and smiling and waving at people. Y'all, that's embarrassing. Okay, I'm not proud of this, but it, I was very intentional. I am a very intentional person. So I'm like, okay, let's go. And so every day we would walk around the front of school and we would walk. Hey, how you doing? We didn't even know them at all, at all. Okay, and we're like, hi, oh, hey. Okay, so we did this for like a few weeks right before all the votes for home, homecoming court came up. And y'all, it worked. So flash to the picture, it worked. My friend got queen and we were both on court and we we're like, this was awesome. Um, I don't know if we had the picture or not. It really doesn't matter because it's, you know what? We were so intentional. Like we didn't miss, I, I'm, yeah, I'm the weird one all the way at the end, all the way at the end. Um, Okay, so there's so many things I could tell you about that picture, like how long we argued on homecoming court about what size the rhinestones were going to be that trimmed our dresses. And you want to know what you think 20 years from now, because that's how long it's been? Those are ugly dresses. You want to know how long we argued about the color green that they should be? And you're thinking, that's ugly dresses. But we were so intentional about something that didn't matter for even a second and I wasted like a month of my life thinking, just plotting. We were just plotting. I mean, we didn't have anything better to do. But do you care? Like, really, do you care sitting up here and saying, oh, that's a nice color green. You're green. You're like, no, Miss Jamie, that's ugly. You should have had the internet. You could have been helped out with your hair. And like, y'all, if I had a close-up of my makeup for that night, like, it's bad. My face is white. I don't have that white of a face. I just thought you'd put white stuff on your face for makeup. I don't know. I don't know what I thought. But you know, there was something else I was very intentional about in high school. Praise God for redeeming that bad homecoming month. And that was see you at the pool. Because my freshman year, me and my sister went because she was a senior and I was a freshman. And so we went, we showed up at CU at the pool and there was about 20 of us. And we thought that was so cool that we said, let's do it again. So we came back the next day and we went back to the flagpole that was at the front of the school where the weird, scary people were. And, um, and we prayed throughout all four years of my high school. It was me and about a handful of friends. And, you know, it was early in the morning, so we, we didn't really risk a whole lot of persecution or ridicule or whatever you might think, but we showed up. Not every single day. There's days you're late. But there was always somebody out there praying every single day at South Terrebonne High School around the flagpole. And it changed lives. When I went back to my 10-year reunion, there were people saved who were like nowhere close to saved. There is a girl who comes to church with us right now, and I always tell my husband, it's the biggest miracle. Like, you don't even know, like, that same homecoming week, like... The things she did did not honor God because she wasn't a Christian. And now she's, at, she's in our church. And I thank God, I don't know how you work and how you, how you save people, but thank you for saving her because I've loved her for a really long time. And when we prayed around the flagpole, we were super intentional about that. So be intentional about what matters. Homecoming votes don't matter that much and at all, actually. But praying around your flagpole does. Get it right. It's okay to get it wrong. Paul did too. It was wrong for us to go get votes from the weird, scary people. But it was right to play pray around the flagpole. And you need to grasp that. Do intentional things. Because if you're not intentional about your Christian walk, it's just going to fly away from you. It will. The years fly. So it, it goes so fast. There's two parts to being intentional. You invest in others 
and you multiply the faith. And sometimes that happens at simultaneously, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you're just putting an investment in someone, and you don't see anything coming back. Sometimes you do. And sometimes you're investing in people who are not Christians and saying, hey, I want to multiply the faith. So why are you at school? Really? Why are you at your school? Why are you at Evergreen Junior High? Why are you at Homer Christian or Covenant Christian or Bayou Community Academy? Besides to make straight A's because I am a mom and so you better make your straight A's, but you also better tell people about Jesus because there are kids in your school who are literally dying to know him. We tell our kids all the time, you are there to tell the world about him. I do care about your grades because we can't afford to send all of you to college, but you are also there to tell people about Jesus. And if you're not intentional about that in small groups tonight, which we're going to dismiss for in just a little bit, I want you to come up with two ways that you're going to be intentional about sharing your faith at school. What does that look like for you? I can tell you what it should have looked like for me at South Terrebonne High School because about 10 years after I graduated, we took in these two boys to come live in our home. And um, they lived with us for two years, Akeem and Shelby. And they're like, they're, you know, they're my boys. One of them works for us now. And he is precious to me. And, um, but you know where, whenever they came live with us, they went to South Terrebonne High School. And I said, where do y'all hang out at at school? That's where I went. You want to know where they hung out at? Scary, weird part of school. You want to know how bad their lives were? Both of their moms were prostitutes. One's dad was in jail. They have both seen people beat and murdered. And had I just ventured out to the scary, weird part of school, I bet you there was somebody there who desperately needed to know about Jesus. But you want to know what I did at the scary, weird part of school? I paraded for, to try to be homecoming queen. Come on. There were Shelby's and Akeem's there. And like, you need to know, like, I love these boys. And I missed it when I was in high school because I wanted to vote instead of winning people for the kingdom of God. You've got to be intentional. So the last point. Well, no, not really. I have three minutes. We're going to make this work. Colossians 1, 28 through 9 to through 29 is kind of like Paul's mission statement. Um, Paul never lost sight of this. And it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He never forgot that this is why he's toiling. Because see, some of you are so tired tonight. I'm tired. But you know, sometimes I get it wrong. I toil to make my business successful. And while that does matter, it doesn't matter about as much as elevating the kingdom of God. I toil in friendships that God's saying, you should have left that a long time ago. Move on. Go proclaim my name. And so the G, this is the biggest point, is go back. When you have your big moment... <laughs> This is the hardest part of what happens in this story. I don't know if you caught it, so I'm going to reread verses 19 through 23 for you. It says, But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They haven't persuaded the crowds. They stood, they stoned Paul, drags him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So these people tried to kill him. That, that's what that means. You don't even have to like, do any deep Bible research to understand that. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. So then it says, we'll kind of skip through that. He goes on, he goes to a place called Derby. He preaches the gospel there, makes many disciples. And in verse 21, this is the main point right here. In verse 21, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. They returned to Lystra. Would you? <laughs> if you'd been stoned 
and drug for dead. I think you'd have such a valid excuse to say, God, I'm never going back there. I mean, you want me to proclaim your name, don't you? But that didn't work too good. Did you see what they tried to kill me? So I'm going to go here instead. And Paul goes back to the hardest place of his life where he is stoned and left for dead. And sometimes, sometimes, God calls us to return to the place that scares us more than anywhere else. Do you know if I was Paul, who's struggling in my friendships with John, Mark, and Peter, and and he was bald too. I'm just throwing that in there. He was bald and short. That's what a lot of commentators say. So like he, he had a lot of rough things going for him. In addition to being stoned, shipwrecked, and beaten, he goes back to Lystra where they hate him. And he knows they hate the name of God. See, like in the Old Testament, they all return to the really cool places. Like Jacob goes back to Bethel because God spoke to him there. And we're like, yes, you know, like if you've ever seen the Stephen verdict when Jacob goes back to Bethel, it's this huge moment. And then Moses takes the people back to Mount Horeb because he says, this is where God gave me the Ten Commandments. We're going to go back there and remind ourselves of the good things God has done. And so we always think Old Testament's rough and New Testament's like, oh, a walk in the park. But see, in the New Testament, Paul goes back to Lystra where they stoned him and left him for dead. And that's hard. So what's your Lystra? What's the thing tonight that God is calling you to go back to that you have run from for maybe months, maybe weeks, maybe years? You know, for me, I've got a lot of years behind me. There are things I've run from for 20 years now that God says, I'm calling you to go back there. And you're scared to death. And you're like, well, Miss Jamie, you don't look scared to me. No, because I do the things I know I'm going to be good at. Hello? Don't we all? Beth Moore says it like this, ministry is the collective work God has called us to do in our entire lifetime, your entire lifetime upon this planet for his great glory. So see, a lot of you are considering, where am I going to go to college? What am I going to do when I grow up? I don't know. I can tell you this. I majored in journalism with a minor in English, and I work at a flooring store. Wanted zero kids, and I have five. God's going to flip your world upside down. My husband and I's biggest fight we've ever had in our life was when we were building our house. And I said, he goes, go paint in the nursery. I said, stop calling it a nursery. I do not want kids. God rocks your world in such a good way so that you become the person that he wants you to be instead of the person you think you need to be. That's who he is. That's what he does. Because see, there was this man in Lystra Acts mentions it like two chapters later. His name is Timothy. His mom's name was Eunice. She was a godly woman. And see, Timothy, if Paul hadn't gone back to Lystra, he would have never had his Timothy. And if you know anything about the Bible at all, and maybe you don't know anything, let me just brief you real quick. Timothy's like Paul's main man. He's like the son he never had. The last letter in 2 Timothy says, you, you were part of my soul, Timothy. But if he hadn't gone back to Lystra, to the place that scared the mess out of him, he'd have never had his Timothy. So what's your Lystra? What are you scared of tonight? What makes you think, Jamie, I can't do that? So think about your fears for a minute, and then think about your Lystra. And then think about your Timothy. There's something good for you in the place that you're scared to death of. You might be scared about this crazy, scary, weird part of school, but had I gone there, it would have probably been the best thing. Because see, Shelby and Akeem were two of the best things that have happened in our lives.
we love those boys. And I missed it, ten, and I, you know, just 10 years later, I was at that scary, weird front part of school that I missed 10 years before. What's your Lystra? What are you scared of? And think about your Timothy. Gosh, he was Paul's biggest encouragement when Paul said, I'm here and it's cold in this jail cell. He said, Timothy, I wish you could be with me. God has good things in scary places. And when your big moment comes, you need to stand up like Paul. Beware of adoration. Be intentional and go back to your Lystra. Go back to the places that scare you so bad. You might be 12, you might be 20, you might be 42. God says it applies to all of us, this calling, this ministry called your life. Oh yeah, I didn't finish that thought because you're thinking about high school, college and whatever and you're saying, well, maybe I'm going to go into ministry. You should all be going into ministry. (laughs) Don't miss that. Don't say, well, I'm going to work as a nurse. Hello, that's your ministry then. There's people there. Wherever there are people, God says you are called to go. 